listen, bitch. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Listen, Bitch. I'm here with two pretty amazing women. I don't know if you guys want to introduce yourselves and just say a little bit about yourselves and who you are, why we're on the pod today. Yeah, um, my name is Bea. I'm a HR generalist in Northern California. Um, you know, currently hoping to add to the discussion around uh, inclusion and different perspectives as a queer um, Latinx uh, person who's been working or had been working undocumented for a long time um, and has been working for a very long time. Uh, there are some lessons learned that I thought might be helpful to pass on in terms of um, how present me versus past me would approach some uh, tense situations or difficult conversations. And my name is Diana. I'm an HR professional here in New York. And why I'm ultimately here is to talk more on what it's like to be an Afro-Latina in HR, how to guide people and also offer support on both sides of people of color as well as white allies. So yeah, if you guys couldn't tell today, we're going to be talking about... um, microaggressions and like specifically um, microaggressions in the workplace and I think it's so great to have you know two people who are very skilled in the workplace um, very familiar with human relations to talk about this like I know personally I go to Dan all the time to talk about like situations that happen at work and like I don't know exactly what to do like she just always has really good advice when it comes to being in the workplace so I think hearing from both these women about microaggressions in the workplace will be really beneficial I hope that either you know you can resonate with it and you can feel um a little like maybe a little bit of sense of community you can feel like someone understands what you're saying and then if you're white I hope that you're listening to this and you're learning something very important so first, I want to introduce microaggressions because I don't think everyone knows what this is. I didn't know what a microaggression was until I was second semester freshman in college. I remember we talked about it in one of my legal classes. So I looked online and the, defi- the official definition is a brief and common daily verbal, behavioral, and environmental communications, whether intentional or unintentional, that transmit hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to a target person because they belong to a stigmatized group. So I want to hear from both of you, like, what is a microaggression to you and when did you first you know notice or experience microaggressions (laughs) so for me personally i'm not gonna lie i've been blinded by microaggressions and and i've actually experienced it more than i would say i have it's ultimately an indirect phrase that somebody has that they say whether it's oh my god is that your real hair can i touch it Or it's, oh, you don't fit into this culture. Like, you don't belong here. Just phrases that you don't know affect people, but you're saying them. And you might not say that, not, you might not think that you're targeting a specific group when you're saying it, but you are. Yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, like, a first experience of microaggression and what Diana was kind of intimating was like the othering that happens uh, by when folks, you know, say the silent part loud sometimes. So like for myself, I grew up undocumented. Um, I went to uh, Chicano Latino Youth Leadership Project, which was like an educational summer camp, essentially around Latinx history, immigrant history during a time that was really uh, tough and really anti-immigrant heavy, especially in California. and so that's when I first started realizing and seeing it was because I was undocumented and, and everyone assumed that like I 
wasn't because of how I was speaking, because of how well I was speaking. And I didn't really sound like an immigrant and I didn't really sound undocumented and I must be one of the good ones, right? And those are yeah. those those little things that kind of start coming up where when you're little and this is like, you know, eight, ten, twelve, like when you're little you just think, Oh, they didn't know better. But yeah. really it's you know, uh, putting you kind of off off kilter, anothering uh, uh, and a hurting, right? To make you feel out of place and to make you feel wrong. That's so interesting too. You bring up like your speech and because um, I think that's such an area of microaggressions that like we don't even realize like when we say like, oh, you're so articulate or like, oh, you speak so well. It's like even like that's something that I remember, like I learned fairly recently, like in the last couple of years that even like pointing out the way someone speaks, it's like we shouldn't be surprised by the way that they speak or the language that they use. And like, I think that's such, um, I don't want to say like an underrated microaggression, but I think it's one that kind of slides under the radar because it's not always pointed out. And it's something we just don't even really think about because we're so expected for everyone to speak like us and what that means if they do or do not speak like us and the connotations we associate. And I think that just kind of flies under the radar. And that's not necessarily like one of the main um, microaggressions or racial stereotypes that we discuss so I think language is such um an important one to bring up so I also wanted to talk about and I know that you guys you guys had mentioned this wanting to talk about um how to speak up when you're either seeing a microaggression even if it's not necessarily happening to you or um you are experiencing a microaggression and how the word like angry is weaponized against women of color like how do you handle like speaking out for yourself and standing up for yourself and saying, hey, it's actually inappropriate for you to say that, especially in the workplace. And so how do you balance like the ability to speak up for yourself while also not wanting to have, you know, the angry stereotype weaponized against yourself? I think as a woman of color, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't to put to not say too much. You go in, you try to stand up for yourself. You have Another person who's not a person of color, oh, you come off angry. No, you're just not used to being educated that you are indirectly saying certain things that don't fall well. You can get away with it, but I can't. And if you have a strong personality, you're determined. Oh, no, you're angry. And it's hard to even educate people that we deserve the respect that you give to anybody else. And I think that just the notion of you're angry is something that we need to move away from. Well, yes, it comes off that we're angry. We're not angry. We're just asserting what we already deserve. And if we are angry, it's, ang- it's not anger. It's frustration at the fact that you keep putting us down. You're not paying us enough. And we are giving it 110% maybe 120, 150 to make sure that everybody is respected. When it comes to the workplace, I've had people laugh at me when I say it's inappropriate. Why? Because in that specific time, no one has told them that it's not appropriate to make those comments. It's not appropriate to get super drunk at a a work function and have to be sent home. But you know what? If somebody at a different level would have the common courtesy to tell these people that it's not okay when myself as a woman of color comes in saying that's not appropriate you're bullying this person cut it out then people wouldn't laugh at me 
wouldn't tell me I'm not having a good time. Oh, you can't take a joke. I can take a joke, but at the same time, you cannot say that in the workplace. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. That bothers me. That is like my, oh, that phrase, like you can't take a joke is like the biggest fucking cop out because like, I like microaggressions, racism, any sort of form of oppression obviously is not funny, but it's also like, that's not, in, that is not it an excuse for your behavior it's like oh it was a joke it was funny obviously if people don't find it funny and obviously if people are not taking it as a joke then it's not a joke and that that bothers me so much because that's just such an easy cop-out for people to throw out there to like totally disregard and like disenfranchise like what you are saying and i i hate when people say that that like drives me insane like for me it's a red flag that like you know roll up your sleeves you're gonna be here a while um just because like after all this time, I'm just like, oh, let's let's dissect that. I actually am a huge fan of stand-up. So let's talk about where you thought your joke was going to land. And let's talk about your intended audience and whether they're present. And let's yeah. talk about your timing. And let's talk about how you decided to say the quiet part loud. And why you thought that was going to make it funnier. It's like announcing the punchline before you finish the joke. I don't understand. So I, I, I'm that kind of person where I'm just like, let's stow it down and talk about it. But... You know, this is just, like, experience over mastering, like, experience after experience where I didn't land well. Do you know what I mean? Or where I did freaking lose it. And I've been, like, I was really grateful, and I texted you guys the other night. I'm like, I found this really great bit of research. It fell into my lap. And it essentially analyzes or analogizes that long-term microaggressions in the workplace trigger a PTSD-like response in people. So, like, I was always very embarrassed. And I'm just like, I can't control my temper. Or I can't, like... If I know they want, they're going to say that I'm the angry brown lady, then, like, I don't want that to happen. But why do I keep falling into that trap? Right? Like, why do I keep getting upset? And it's funny because I think with anything else, like, if someone kept breaking your leg, you wouldn't go, oh, my God, why am I upset my leg is broken? But when it comes to feelings, like, we're taught to code switch so much and acclimate and make others comfortable that, like, that's the approach to, like, this intense pain and othering that happens when people choose to misspeak. Right? Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's sad, but at this point, like my reaction is to just like slowly talk about it because getting angry doesn't, it gets me angry and it gets me wound up and, and I can't do that to my body anymore. Um, but I've also found that people just, any excuse you give them to discount what you have to say, they're going to. So that means that by necessity, you have to speak slowly and calmly and deliberately and be careful with your words. Words have power. I can tell you the first time somebody used a microaggression against me, how I felt, what happened. I can tell you who I went home and told to, their reaction. Um, And it happened many, many years ago. Have you ever like told someone, like a friend or a family member or something about like a microaggression that happened to you and their response was like disappointing? Of course, all the time. There was an instance where I was told working in HR, that I was not a good fit for the company. Yeah. Right? I, I was remember, there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I went home, and uh, my partner at the moment that I went up to, and I was like, they told me I wasn't a good fit. And, of course, I'm, like, super dramatic. <laughs> so his response was, you're being dramatic. They probably didn't mean it like that. You take everything too, like, sensitive. And I'm like, 
but they said it and I don't understand and I really want it to work out. And at that moment, I was like, he wouldn't be able to understand. He's white. He's a male. Yeah. How is he ever going to put himself in my shoes yeah. as a woman of color? Yeah. And hear that. He'd be like, all right, screw him. Yeah. On to the next. He's never, he's never had to think like, oh, I am not getting this position because of who I am, you know, and the connotations that people associate with who I am as a human being. I want to go back to, though, I'm trying to find it. I freaking X'd out of my Google Chrome browser. Um, and I had this, one of the stats from the article you were talking about, though, or the study that you were talking about, um, it listed specifically the five, like, oh, yeah, here it is. So it says when people, this is the, the study that you found on micros, microaggressions, when people face discrimination in their lives, that is A, intense, B, extensive and enduring, C, threatening to one's sense of safety, and D, casual of symptoms that are aligned with PTSD, like, happen every single day because of microaggressions. And if those feelings lead to PTSD, I was like, that just, like, blew my mind. What I thought was interesting was, you know, the author kind of alludes to uh, the fact that since people aren't familiar, so if you haven't experienced a microaggression, you don't know what it's like. You don't know how it harkens back to other childhood trauma and othering. You don't know how it clicks right back into the memory of you know, all the past incidents that happened to you and all of the other moments where you felt like rejected and alone, like you don't understand how traumatizing that can be, right? And so what I thought the article did really beautifully was link all five points together to be like, and this is how it is like PTSD because, you know, it does have like physical manifestations and it does harken back to prior trauma and it is like long enduring and profound over an extended period of time. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because I've been like, you know, my, my BA is in, you know, ethnic studies. Like I've been studying identity and racial formation and all of those things for like a really long time. And like I was dancing around this and the way I found it was I'm like, has someone not written about this? Because it feels like there's a disconnect somewhere. And so like that's yeah. where I actually stumbled upon it was like, if someone hasn't put the, all this together, like let's start that discussion because it needs to happen. Um, yeah. And I was following, you know, Rachel Cargill at the Loveland Foundation, and she yeah. does amazing amounts of work, and she's just puts the ideas out there, right? Like, let's discuss this. Um, whereas I was always stopping myself being like, oh, I have to have all of the research and all of the information, all of the data to back it, right? And it's funny yeah. because, like, hello, imposter syndrome, right? But uh, it's best that you feel like you have to, like, go to battle with, like, 80,000 facts. You have to have your... You feel like you have to carry like a binder of like every single document you've ever read so you can show people and highlight exactly where it is and people don't take us seriously. You can have all the facts. Once you deliver at the end they tell you, Oh my god, like it's so articulate, right? I had no idea that that happened. Uh, your source let's go through your sources. Oh where exactly Yeah. I'm like, where are your fucking sources? Like So you get to set your own personal experience from like circa being a teenager eighty thousand years ago. But yeah. I actually have recent experience with it, and you're choosing to value yours over mine. To ignore it. People look for, like, any reason to discredit anything a minority says, like... I think it's because they don't want to be the person behind it being the problem. Yeah. The moment somebody sees, like, oh, I actually let that happen, or oh, I actually said that, like, yeah. that's a microaggression then they get defensive. But we're not here, at least I'm not here, to put anybody in their place and tell them, you did this to me. Yeah. (laughs) 
apologize. Yeah. I'm here to educate on, like, how you can make it better. Because I, I think I, and Bea, I'm sorry. I think I speak for both of us that we're not after revenge. We're after education. We yeah. have dealt through a lot. We've dealt through a lot together. We've dealt through a lot separately. And at the end of the day, like, most of the feedback that we've always had between each other is, oh, it's a rough week. But you know what? We're educating. Yeah. I love that. I feel like that's such a good way to look at it, too. And I feel like like you're right. It is really hard. I mean, especially for me as a white person, like, I, you know, when I was first, like, learning about microaggressions and, you know, learning about the ways that I have contributed to white privilege and, you know, racist systems and the ways that I've even been, I was always like, I'm not racist. And just the ways that I, you know, benefit from white privilege and from a racist society. The hardest part of that was like, okay, like coming to terms with that. And then being like, now you have to put in the work. And that's, I think like where the disconnect is, is people don't want to admit that they've like contributed or benefited, um, et cetera from it. Um, because then you have to like do something about it. And that's like really daunting but not an excuse, but I just think that's like a big, that's like a big hurdle I think is for people to like admit that they have contributed to it or that they've, you know, either done something racist or, you know, contributed to a racist system. And then because now they have to take action and they, and once you, you know, own up to something, you have to kind of figure out like, okay, well, how do I like fix that? And how do I, you know, move on from this? And so I think that's like a big hurdle for people to get over. And I think that's why there's I think it's, like, complicated, but I think that's a big reason there's, like, a lot of resistance of people to be, like, no, 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 that didn't happen, or just to, like, brush aside, like, when people are speaking up and saying, like, hey, that's not okay, or, like, hey, that made me feel really uncomfortable, or, like, hey, you actually can't say that, and here's X, Y, Z, like, I literally have facts to show you, this is why you can't say that, or this is why you can't do that, and I think that's just a big reason why it gets brushed off, because people don't want to have to do something about it, especially in the workplace. It's, like, like strategies around that is to say you know um intent doesn't guarantee impact right so yeah here i'm telling you know all we can do is is rectify impact so here i'm telling you that the impact was xyz like what are we going to do to make up for that impact right and then when you start that discussion it's just like you can say i'm not going to mitigate this person's feelings yeah. Like their feelings are their own and are completely valid as is. So what can yeah, you do yeah. to fix how they're feeling? Right? And and you start taking the focus away from that. And there's like, you know, a lot of times there there can be resistance. But like at that point, I'm just like, you know, this person probably hasn't experienced like a growth moment very recently or hasn't yeah, been yeah. In, in that discomfort for a while. And like, yeah, discomfort is naturally uncomfortable. So we avoid it as human beings, like totally. Yeah. Bad, right. So it's, like, that discussion of being, like, hey, this is uncomfortable. It just means we're, like, learning and growing. Like, it just means we're having a discussion. You actually don't have to agree with me at the end of this discussion. And, like, I'll go as far as to say I just want us to have a conversation for the next 10 minutes around this topic. And at the end of it, you can agree with me or not. Like, that's fine. But do me the favor of, like, let's have an authentic communication around it. I think that's so important to just say it, too. Because, too, 10 minutes, obviously, is not going to, like, reverse, you know, 20 something, 30 something, 40 something years of, you know, education, like unlearning is such a process as you guys know. So I I feel like that's such um, a good way of putting it that like, you know, you don't have to see it from my side 100%. You don't have to agree with me, but you do owe me this conversation. And, you know, if you want to 
we just should be having this dialogue. I feel like that's such a good way of putting it. Like, come at me when you're ready. Okay, yeah. if you can't have it now, can you come come to me in the next three days with 20 minutes and we'll have this conversation then? You set the time frame. Yeah. You know, and then when they dodge it at that point, it's just like, hey, I feel like you're running away from this at this point. Like, yeah. can you do me the courtesy yeah. of sitting down with me and having this conversation? Right. right. And so it's it's, you know, a process of like accountability and open communication and... I have found every time I wait longer to deal with something that I've come out of my feelings, I've just been able to, um, you know, come at it in a way that aligns more to my values of like being a more kind person and trying to figure that stuff out. So I was just holding myself to unreasonable expectations. Like I'm, I'm not that person in the immediate moment that someone's kicked me in the shin. Like, no, I am not forgiving and kind. And do I want to listen to you in that moment? Like, no, I'm in pain. Right. So, like, I needed to start accepting that for myself in that moment of pain. I am not going to be 100% flawless and kind. So give yourself the space you need and then approach it in the way that you want to approach it, right? I love having this conversation because we are all different ages because I feel like it's so apparent. And, like, I love that because everything you're saying is, like, what I think, like, we all aspire to be is to understand, like, how we learn and how we grow and, like, the ways that we most effectively communicate. And I feel like especially, like, for people... Who are my age, like, 22, 23, who are, you know, even a couple years younger than day, like, we immediately, like, want to fire back or have, like, immediate interaction. Like, if someone says something, I want to resolve it that day, and I want them, I don't want to meet them halfway, and they don't want to meet me halfway. I want them to come completely to my side. And so I feel like everything you're saying is so important because, you know, if we truly want to invoke change, like you were saying, it, you know, it doesn't happen in a 10 minute conversation and be kind to yourself like I just like how did I expect myself to perform like flawlessly and without emotion in a moment that I'm feeling intense emotion like come on self like set yourself up for the win that you want right yeah like and also give yourself time to just be in pain like I felt like I was playing pain hopscotch like oh you just kicked me in the shin so I'm gonna really quickly have this conversation with you and it was like a frenetic back and forth because that's what I was setting it up to be right like I could have removed that energy from the moment and and yeah. not charged it. And, like, what I do give myself permission to be is always, like, open, authentic, and vulnerable. And I will, like, freak – I have cried in front of my boss before. Yeah. And I've been, like, you know, I feel really I isolated. Like, I feel really <laughs> – like, you're making me feel isolated and alone, and I know that's not your intent, and I know you have my back, but I can't hear you right now because I'm way too hurt. So, like, yeah. let's continue this conversation another time. Right? Like, I respect you, but I'm upset, and I just can't hear you. And, like, that's okay, that. too. Like, the, it's not always going to be a pretty nice resolution when it comes to feelings. It's just not. So the more space you can create for yourself, the better. Do you ever feel like the burden to, or like, maybe not necessarily the burden, but like the emotional exhaustion of like having to have these conversations and having to educate people and like having to experience this and then relay that to other people and make space for other people of like, okay, you know, do you need a couple of days to talk with me about this? Like, how do you go about that? And how do you like make how do you like save your mental health while also being like okay I think it is important to have this discussion with this person I mean I think HR wise you kind of have to have two sides of how you approach things um specifically you're going to want to hear everybody out as opposed to insinuating certain things. I mean, I'm super empathetic. So my HR approach is super empathetic. I try to put myself in people's shoes. I'm always there to listen. And I think the downfall with that though is sometimes you bring the emotions and you have to like 
suppress them because ultimately you're just listening and trying to get to the bottom line. Um, but you, I personally for me, you always need to have kind of like a window that you're closing when you're in there listening to people and suppressing everything that you feel because that's not you. And if you get emotional, then it's going to skew how the result or it's going to skew the result that comes out of what you're trying to get. So as much as I can be like, oh my goodness, can't believe that happened to you. I need to put it together, keep it together, listen to you, find that resolution and advise you the best that I can in order for you to feel the support, get what you need. Because who's gonna, who's going to genuinely get a good resolution from someone that has the emotion with you? Because my, if it's, if I'm putting myself in your shoes and I'm feeling what you're feeling, then I'm obviously going to be biased towards you. And that might not be correct. That might be guiding you in completely wrong direction and I'm not doing you any favors. So I can listen, I can talk it through. And even my friends, they always laugh when we have to resolve anything. It's okay, let's list the pros and cons. Let's list the pros and cons. Because you have to see both sides to it. Yeah, for me, it's like I'm in a moment of service. Like I'm trying to be of help, right? Yeah. It's different when there's been a, like when someone's insulted me or there's been a microaggression or I feel I've been treated unprofessionally. That's different, right? That's stepping yeah. outside of my HR role a little bit and saying like, hey, um, as an HR coaching tip, but also as a person, I felt what you just did right now was a little disrespectful. I don't think it was intentional. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Um. But when it comes to listening to someone in the moment when they've had something happen to them and like not myself getting triggered in the same moment, like I've had sexual harassment happen at the workplace. Like I've had like overt racism happen at the workplace. Like I've had a whole bunch yeah. of these experiences that are pretty terrible. So for me, it's if I'm listening and linking it to my own experience then I'm doing that person a disservice because I'm not able to listen to what they have to say. So it's very yeah. much about like how can I help them and be of service to them? It's not about me. It's about helping that person. And, you know, like, some of this stuff's terrible. So I will share sometimes and say, you know, I've, I've had similar things happen, not at this workplace, somewhere else. But, yeah, like, I've had a similar thing happen. The best thing that I can tell you to do is to take care of yourself. Give yourself yeah. time. You don't have to commit to an answer right now. You can give yourself a calm and considered process. Like, your step run right now is to go get some counseling so that you can safely talk about this moving forward right. for yourself in a way that's helpful your your needs are all that matter right now um and so being yeah. able to have like that discussion with someone versus me being like oh my god and yeah my story and this terrible thing right. happened here like that's not that doesn't help them yeah. right it doesn't help me it doesn't help them so why put myself through the ringer again and like I've had practice doing you know like trying to limit the the, the, you know, third degree trauma from hearing someone else's story or from triggering PTSD in your own way. And so it's really funny because, you know, I'd already linked that for like sexual harassment and myself in my profession. I mean, yeah. like, I have to be careful around this. This is really tender for me. Like, I need to be sure that I'm centering everything the right way. Um, right. But only very recently, like, has it been the like trauma around people arguing with or people needing me to explain why we say Black Lives Matter. And people yeah. trying to argue with me about, like, are we being too far left because some 
um, folks are feeling isolated and, you know, their parents were cops. And then I say, well, my parents were, you know, my dad was a cop. Just not here, but my dad was a cop. And I've experienced police violence. And, you know, I've been, like, that shaped essentially my whole education. Because that's why I was, you know, ethnic studies and criminal justice. Double minor, right? Or double major. Like, that's why I went that way, was to figure out that tension. And to figure out how to have that conversation with, like, people that I love, right? Yeah. So, you know, I understand it very closely. What, What hurts is the othering and the assumption that I wouldn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would, my family wouldn't be cops. Like, uh, there's a lot of brown and black bodies out there in uniform right now. Yeah. Like, across our military branches, but also across, like, you know, as law enforcement officers. And so, like, I, yeah, I get that tension. Why would you assume I don't? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the, that's the, like, painful part is, is why is, is your experience of what is conservative American values different from what you think mine would be? Yeah. Like, actually, I would have been really interested in going into military service. Like, had I had my green card and had a path to that at the time, I probably would have gone that way. Right. right? So, like, how do you, how, how, why, why do you assume I wouldn't? And, like, why is that not the right role for me? And why are you assuming I'm biased when we're actually coming from the same place? Because it's, it's funny because if we're trying to come from a place of understanding, then don't assume you know where I'm coming from if we haven't had that discussion. Yeah, because you don't, yeah, you don't know anything about really anyone's family or where they come from or what their family does until you talk to them. So it's it's interesting because the, the like frustration and anger around like me pointing out that it's not right is like, oh, well, now I'm a bad guy because I assumed that about you. And it's like, no, I didn't say you're a bad or a good guy. Like, yeah. let's just lay bare what assumptions we're making so we can actually right. have a reasoned discussion around it. And no, we're not. And then maybe in the future. We're not going to hissy fit at each other. That's not going to be sufficient anymore. We're not going to yeah. have hissy fits at each other about each other's feelings. Like, we're going to have a calm and considered discussion if that's what you want to have. If yeah. you want to have feelings at me, like, that's probably better for you to go for a walk and figure out on your own. Like, I am not the receptacle yeah. for your feelings. It's so obvious that you guys, like, work in HR, like, by the way that you talk. <laughs> like, I, I love it. Okay, so I want to talk about specifically, you know, I think we've talked a lot about microaggressions. We've dabbled on it a little bit, but specifically, like, microaggressions in the workplace and, you know, if you're comfortable, maybe some microaggressions that you've gotten or, you know, very common ones that maybe people don't always necessarily realize are microaggressions until you're like, hey, you can't fucking do or say that. So I do want to start off by saying I'm super blinded by my own microaggressions. (laughs) So for me, I think the most, the one that's hit me the most in the workplace has been that I don't belong in that work culture. Said by a white woman and a company that was majority white. Yep. <laughs> um, and as far as how I felt, obviously I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. How, to na- how I navigated it was I asked, okay, so what do I need to do to demonstrate that I am the right fit, that I do belong here because I'm already doing the work? I think a lot of common ones are like, oh, you speak so well. Or yeah. a, lo- a lot of uh, taking credit for a minority's work. Work. Oh, my God. That is yep. the biggest one, and I think that's one that we should definitely discuss at great lengths because it is a microaggression. Yeah. I can tell you I've stayed up until 2 a.m. <laughs> set up doing projects, sent it to my manager, only for them to come in, take credit for the whole thing, take credit for my ideas, 
after telling me like, oh, this doesn't look good. Why didn't it look good when you were having a conversation with me, but you went and you presented it to senior leadership and they thought it was great. They thought it was great. They gave you the funding. They did everything bent backwards and forwards. What made it so different that a woman of color addressed it, gave you that information, gave you how it would work, and it wasn't good enough, but when you, a white male, went and presented it, it was perfect, it was spot on, we got the funding. Did you say Another, thank you? <laughs> you would think, no. But so you know what, what? Did, what did you, you do? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Like what? It's okay. Like how do how do you like handle that? Like honestly, Lexi. Like especially no. as someone who's in HR. Like you know what? What do you do? Everybody handles things differently. Yeah. I won't say I didn't want to curse him out. I won't say I didn't want to be like, what the heck? Why? I will say, I said, okay, these are, we've got the funding. What now? Give me the approach you want to take now. I already gave you the first seven steps. I need the next three. Yeah. And in that moment, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Because he came back pretty quickly being like, oh, I need your help. Oh, thank you so much. He flipped how he was towards me from, oh, this is not good enough. Thanks, thanks, but no thanks, to let's partner on this. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it hurt. I'm not saying I was super annoyed. But you know what? Thank you. Yeah. And I know you guys are going to be like, why is she thanking him? Thank you because you gave me the power to the power and the confidence to believe in myself because you told me I was wrong and then you told me I was right, but I already knew it. I just didn't have the confidence to fight you on it a little bit more. And at the end of the day, thank you because then I can grow as a person. Right, now you've learned that and now you're... Moving on to bigger and better. Yeah, I usually wait for them to dig a little bit of a hole and do it two or three times, and then I show that they have a pervasive (laughs) pattern of conduct. Yeah, no, and then I just, I report it, because I'm just like, it's intentional that you're not seeing it at this point, because it's happened four times. Um, So what is it about our work culture that enables people to take credit for each other's work and for the accountability measures to be completely willfully blind to what's going on? Like, how do we affect systemic change here? Because this isn't working yeah. for they, me anymore. But let, let me ask you this. Because I know I struggle with when to report things. How do you know? Because I want to be able to compare how do you know when to report it and what and why do I stop from reporting myself? For like, me, like reporting situations for myself. Yeah, there's a couple for me. It's if it's if it's egregious to me because it's indicating uh, like a likelihood that it's going to happen to other people. Do you know what I mean? Like if you yeah. thought that just because I was on your team that you didn't need to worry about XYZ and we're in a position to set policy for XYZ, then yeah. I'm going to be reporting like with the quickness. Because any blind spot that's happening there that may or may not be intentional, it's moving so fast that the likelihood of damaging other people is higher. Because it's, it's a blind spot, you don't see it and you're, you're running downhill. 
So my tapping in the help is being like, help, like we have a propensity to be hurting other people here. Like aside from my own offense, let's be careful in how we approach this because of X, Y, Z. And we didn't think about this other population, right? So it'll be a reason like that. Uh, another thing it'll be is if I see, if I've called the alarm repeatedly and it's been ignored, then I report up two or three ladders and I'll copy everyone in. Um, and that's like when you, you know, really feel that there's, you know, a health and safety issue or yeah. some sort of other, you know, dangerous risk to the business or to the company. And then you have to be able to prove that business case and be like, this is the fine for that thing we're choosing to do. Not only that, but we're documenting it for whatever investigation might come next. Like, this is a huge liability. Why is no one listening? Yeah. I don't understand. Like, I mean, I, I obviously do kind of understand, but I don't really understand why we don't learn about this in school because like I'm already thinking about like one of my first like post-grad jobs and like I mean day kind of knows like it was hell on earth and like how my boss would do stuff like um like he would take credit for my work like he would literally go on air and be like oh I did this and I would literally be like I, I, I fully did that for you and then he would say stuff like oh well our audience is predominantly males like they don't react well to females, like, being mentioned and stuff. Like, completely erasing, like, my position. And then he just would treat me like shit. But then I was, like, I, I remember literally talking to my friends and being, like, I don't know how to navigate this. Like, I don't even know who to go to. And, like, if I do go to them, like, what do I say and how do I say it and who do I CC? And so I feel like everything you're saying is stuff that we need to be teaching, you know, college students and interns. And it should be, you know, things that we – it should be free information that we are giving to employees, like, when they start working at a company. And I feel like it's, like, this hidden, like, little agenda of, like, you know, here's all the secret stuff. Because you are so well-versed in it and you know so, you know so clearly, like, here's how I'm going to attack it. Here's how I'm going to think about it, which I think probably has a lot to do with, like, growth and experience and time. But, like, like we should be teaching young people this because I think about, like, I don't want to be, like, you know, 20 years into my career and just now learning how to, like, you know, resolve a problem efficiently and effectively inside of the company. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, it's it's crazy to me, like, all the stuff that we could learn in high school or middle school, right, that we don't learn, like, how to advocate yeah. for yourself, how to set boundaries, how to communicate, yes. like, how, like, right? How to freaking do laundry, like, I don't know how many people I taught how to do laundry in the dorms. Don't even That's get started. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey, what'd you say? It's crazy. Don't even get me started. <laughs> it's crazy but like um I think it communication is definitely like an underserved area of growth for a lot of people and like the way to yeah. communicate effectively like we talk about self-care but we don't talk about setting boundaries right like yeah it's one and the same like knowing when to step away knowing when to recharge knowing when to tackle something when you don't want to tackle yeah. something like I've made plenty of choices where I'm just like I could like, do I want to go, like, the whistleblower route and have to engage an attorney and deal with all of that stuff? And, like, no, not yeah. really. Not at yeah. all. Not worth it to me. Like, you know, yeah. not, not with what I make. Like, not worth it to me. Like, I can't be out of making money for that long. Like, yeah. there are choices I need to make for my own, like, you know, economic well-being. So, right. Isn't it crazy, too, that, like, recognizing and being vocal about an issue at a company could potentially result in you you know stunting your career or losing your job and being financially unstable when it's like we should be encouraging people to try to make the workplace better but 
Obviously, that's not a surprise that that's not how the world works. Um, And I think it's important to also note that that's what's stopping a lot of people of color from coming forward about their experience. And a lot of people are like, well, I really want to make it and I really want to become a a director while I'm here. So let me put up with all the crap that is going to happen in in this specific job to get there so that I could leave. Yeah. But you have to ask yourself, when is enough? When is it enough? Like, you can only put up with so much and you don't deserve to be treated like that. And I think it's also important for people to know that HR, (laughs) yes, they have the interest of the business, but they're also there to listen to you, help you, and try to guide you the best that we can. I think there's a, a couple of different folks and ways that they approach HR, and I think it's pretty blatant from when you talk to your HR person what school they fall into, right? If they're yeah, more the sure. traditional business first, like, they're not going to have office hours and comfy couches and yeah. putting time on your calendar just to check in, right? right. Like, it's, it's a different vibe, so, like, I think being aware of the people and how they approach indicates like their professional values and responsibilities. And so like, trust your gut on those. Um, You know, I know myself at moments I've been like, I think we should continue this conversation at another time. Like as a soft favor to people to be like, just stop, think, and like, let's engage again when you're ready to approach us in a way that's like best for you and for what you want the outcome to be. Right. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it really is the, the type of HR person that you are um, yeah. and, and your approach. But I, I don't, by all means, speak, I've had some terrible HR people when I've been in other job functions. So, like, right. by no means do I want to speak for HR as a profession. I think there needs to be a lot better consistency as a profession in terms of our values and, like, how we perform. The, am I noticing yeah. is something funky going on here? Yes. I like to be the kind of person where you can come in and be like, is something weird going on here? And I'll be like, yeah. I can't talk about it. Right. That's an answer I give sometimes. Yeah. I can't talk about it or it'll all be clear in two weeks. Right. Like, yeah, if I can SOS a message, I do. But like, if not, usually my, my, I don't know, my population that I support, like, I feel like I have their trust at least in some way where they know I'm not a terrible person. Yeah. Um, and if I ask them for a little bit of time, it's because some progress is going to be happening or something, or I need time to right. get an answer, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, that's just in how I conduct myself and how I communicate with folks. Also, too, sometimes you just need someone, too, to be like, you are not crazy. This is valid. You may or you may not be mean. seeing something, and why you may or may not be seeing it will be clear in a couple of weeks, right? Exactly. And then the person can be like, oh, okay, right? And yeah. just wait, wait to see what happens. Exactly. And someone that can check in with you. I find that usually too, like when I do a write up, we end up kind of talking about stuff organically anyways. Like, you know what you did ask about, um, like a common microaggression. And I want to say like one that I pretty recently had, um, was, you know, a little bit before this employer, while I was still interviewing for jobs, I went in and I was like, I was told I was a top contender for this role. It was an HR role, uh, like, in finance, and, you know, since I was coming from, like, a law background that's in an analogous industry, like, I was going to be great. They were very excited, and they needed someone who was, like, a native Spanish speaker. So I was like, there's not that many of us with a JD, like, that want to do this kind of work, so I feel like I'm pretty solid. And I was excited going in. 
I go in, you know, it's a woman of colors interviewing me and I'm like, awesome. Like, this is great. Yeah. Like I instantly feel comfortable. Um, just because very rarely has it been a woman of color on the end of like a microaggression, right? Like that just right. not very rarely. No, I'm not saying it never happens because it has, but right. very rarely is that the case. Yeah. Um, the gentleman who's in the existing role comes in and I'm expecting him to lead the interview because he's training as a replacement. He's going on to a role that's above this role. So it's yeah. in his best interest that whoever covers for him be awesome. That way he doesn't right. have to do their work. That way he can grow in his own role, right? So I'm like, right. this guy's going to be, he's going to be asking me questions. It's going to be a hard one, right? right? I'm like ramping up. Um, nothing. This guy does not ask me a single question the whole interview. He's looking down at his shoes the whole time. I thought it was really strange. I'm having great rapport um, with the woman who's interviewing me. Um, and finally she goes, you know, do you have any questions? And at this point I was like surprised and I'm like, is something wrong here? Right? Like what's going on? So I was like, I'm going to push a little bit. And I ask him and I say, you know, I'm replacing your role. You're you, the great, the greatest interest you have is in me hitting the ground running and having a good start. Like you don't seem very engaged right now. Why is that? Like, is there any question I can answer for you that's going to sell my candidacy for this role? this is the job that I want and he looked at me and he's like I've just this whole time been just so impressed at how well spoken you are and so I was just like that's weird because you're looking for people with JDs a lot of us are going to know how to speak like that's weird to me right I knew I heard it the right way when like the woman that had been interviewing me just goes like and like scooches just like a, a like little tiny baby inch but just a little bit away from the guy and I was just like oh it's happening really and so at that point, I had resume, I printed copies of my resume for everyone. And so I turned around my resume and I said, what from my degree indicates that I would not be well spoken to you? I said, what? And then I pull out my resume, all three pages, and I go, what in this depth of experience to you indicates that I would not be well spoken? I consider myself a really strong writer. So I just want to be know if there are words missing somewhere that aren't indicating that I would be well spoken or eloquent or be able to distill complex ideas in a tangible manner. So can you tell right. me what I should have been doing better in my writing so that the package lined up to that package? And he just did not have a single thing to say. Wow. Just, uh, 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 uh. Like, okay, because I think it's pretty clear based on my education and the depth of my professional experience and that I've done trainings and that I've done you know, that I've lectured and that I've led groups and trained them how to divorce themselves, which is pretty hard, yeah. right? Like, what out of all of that indicates that I would not have, not be well-spoken? And so his, like, profound discomfort, just he could not even engage with me after that. And, and so... I said, Sorry, that, that, yeah, I said I withdrew my candidacy and, like, thank you so much for your time and I'm not interested... You know, I'm not interested in having this conversation anymore. And what's funny is the woman that interviewed me added me on LinkedIn as I was walking out the door. Wow. And then her manager and her manager's manager all added me within three days. So I knew they were sharing the story. Oh, 100%. Right? So it was a very interesting kind of unfolding. And I, like, had to, I like reported them to the agency that was repping me at the time. Yeah. For, like, discriminatory for conduct and did all of that. But I mean, I was sorry you had it. Two of them, but I feel like you handled it. 
But you are completely allowed to withdraw your candidacy in the middle of an interview. You just get up and say thank you for your time. It's not a good match. And you just walk out. And that's it. You don't owe anyone your time. If if someone's being discriminatory or disrespectful in an interview, at that point, it can be done. You don't owe them anything further. And because imagine how, like, the workplace is. Like, if if you're in the interview and you're being treated like that, like, just imagine the shit you'd have to deal with. Like, obviously, you handled it well. But, like, if there's other people in the room, like, specifically, like, if there's other white people in the room, like, what do you want to see from them? Like, what would you expect to happen? Like, nothing? Or, like, would you want them to say something? Almost there, it would have been appropriate, I think, to have someone walk out after me and say, like, can you please, do you have, like, 20 minutes of your time so we can talk about lessons learned in this? Like, do you have time? We'd love to, you know, figure out how to have a conversation around this. Like, can we turn this into a coachable moment kind of a thing? Or if he had contacted you afterwards to, like, apologize and, like... Yeah, and it was it was none of that. And they said, you know, they tried to move me forward to, like, the next round of interviews, which I just thought was really weird. Because, like, if you didn't want to have a conversation with me at the time and didn't reach out in that two-week window, then why now are you seeing if I'm still interested? It was a very... It was a weird, like, chain, like, sequence of events. That's very inappropriate. And also, why are they not taking you for your word when you're saying... I'm withdrawing my candidacy. Like, that's not a joke. Like, you're not... It's fascinating, but that's, like, one of the more common ones where it's happened to me when I've been younger, and I've just sat through the whole interview, and I have needed the job, and I've just sucked it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they didn't mean it, and you tell yourself a thousand different things at the time, but, like, just understand that when you're doing that, like, you can say, hey, I actually just really need this job, so I'm going to suck it up, but this does suck, and it is racist. That's a much more caring and loving way to treat it than for you to pretend nothing's happened. Yeah. And to gaslight yourself. Yeah. And be like, no big deal, they didn't mean it, it's fine, and just ignore it. Like, that's one of the more damaging ways I think that people deal with microaggressions is just to be like, they didn't mean it, it's fine. Take a moment, sit down, give yourself some care. Like, yes, it hurts to admit that we are vulnerable and hurt. That's fine. Yeah. But, like, be kind and deal with it, or else it's going to surprise you later when it flares up when you have other moments that are similar. And then you're going to be like, oh my god, why was I raging bitch just now? Where did that come from? And it's like, oh, (laughs) I haven't been dealing with all of that anger from all of these past moments, and now it just builds up and exploded. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That sounds truly fucking awful, and I'm just also disappointed in the way that they, like, handled it afterwards. It's like, if I disrespected someone, like, I feel like I would feel the need to apologize especially if it was a stranger who was coming into my workplace and i made them feel uncomfortable but i digress because not everyone feels that way and like that's you know that's why we're here and we talked about this a little bit but like how do you suggest employees that are not hr generalist combat the slash approach the approach these situations so i know you talked a little bit about like you know specifically for the interview like maybe 20 minute like someone coming after you and saying like hey like can we talk about this actually i would love to like have a discussion with you about like why that was inappropriate um, et cetera, et cetera. But are there other ways that you think like in the workplace, especially because you guys work in HR, so you kind of see, I feel like, I don't want to say it, I say from like above, but you just see businesses from like a different standpoint that like people like me who are regular employees that don't work in HR can, you know, deal with microaggressions and kind of like combat these and just make the workplace, um, a better place. Two I'm seeing right now. One is, um, people wanting to make like inclusion initiatives and HR solely an HR function because to me it's funny if you can make the business case as like the business leader for your division or your branch to have inclusion practices be part of your like key performance indicators right then you don't need HR 
like then you've made it a metric for yourself as a business to hit t i didn't think of it like that so like that's where i'm just like why are you asking us if you as a leader have a strategy or resource for how you want your hiring panels to look or how you want like i'm always a partner but where you're not seeing action reflected and urgency reflected by your hr partner like you can also just hopscotch ahead of them like as much as yeah. i'd advise working with them if you're seeing them as a block and you're not seeing them be responsive like you can do some of this stuff on your own yeah um so that's one of the things where i'm just like I think people find it inconvenient and they don't think it's like a real business issue. So they don't think about it like a real business issue. But if you get project management and account management and all the different branches together, they're going to know how to run an inclusion plan because you're yeah. just solving for a problem. Right. Yeah. So like that to me is one thing um, that I just really wish people like thought about. It's like, if you want to make the, if you're a business leader and want to make this an initiative for yourself and you are seeing yourself as like the inclusion focused X, Y, Z type of manager, then you're completely within your wheelhouse to grow that skill set, to go to training, to make those part of your business plans moving forward. And as long yeah. as you're making the business case for it, then it's a business initiative that you're free to move forward yourself. That's so interesting. I never thought about it like that. Because, like, HR is not the conscience for the whole company, right? Like, we're supposed to be a resource to help you execute. But, like, at no point would I go to a business leader and be like, this is what your plan for sales needs to be next year. Yeah. Like, no, you give me your flavor of what you need from me, and I'll tell you how I can help you. Right? If you're telling me wow. that you want more, like, you want more inclusion numbers and you want me to look at all your job descriptions and you want me to break out where education requirements aren't really necessary for some of these, or you want me to translate those education requirements into years of military service, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people of color can't go to college, so they go serve in the military instead, right? So yeah. where can we make that equivalent and where can we make that accessible? Yeah. Wow. Like, come to me and ask me for ideas, but don't yeah. ask me to launch the whole inclusion initiative across the whole united states because i don't know what dallas needs versus what miami yeah. needs versus what like that's a big ask of a professional is like yeah. figure this out across all these verticals regardless of history right like each office manager and business leader knows what they need best and knows the flavor yeah. and the opportunities and can steer yeah. their resources in the right direction so like that's where so it's more it's of a so partnership Oh, go ahead. Sorry. What'd you no, say? I would say that's where it's more of a partnership. It's like business leaders being yeah. like, I want this to be a focus. And I think this is an opportunity. And that's where yeah. HR comes in and goes, this is how we can do it. This is what I've seen address those concerns. Do you feel like that right now versus like, like specifically with the Black Lives Matter movement that people are seeing it more as an opportunity than like a focus of like, you know, our company should be focusing on this instead of like, oh, here's an opportunity to like show people like we're a good company. Because I feel like I'm seeing companies kind of do... And it's hard, though, because, you know, you can't really... You don't always know, like, who is legitimate. And I think maybe time will tell, too, of, like, who's actually implementing change and who isn't and who's actually changing the practices and who isn't. But is that, like... Do you kind of see that now, too, with, like, the focus and opportunity? I think so. I would agree that right now everybody doesn't want to be exposed for the little things that have gone down behind closed doors because a lot of minority employees are speaking out about their experiences that they probably reported there was no traction or they didn't feel comfortable reporting it and they just left because they couldn't handle it. Yeah. And the solution is, okay, let's hand, let's tackle the problem now. Like but 
you can put a Band-Aid on a cut and the cut's going to heal, but it's not going to heal 100% because the Band-Aid's just topping the cut. So ultimately, the decision should be to have this be a long-term thing. You can try to fix it now with a Band-Aid. But if you're not going to hop on the diversity and inclusion bandwagon or try to take those steps to support your employees of color, then they're going to leave and they're going to take their they're going to rip the bandaid and be like, hmm, let me go to another employer that's going to help me fix this bandaid to repair my cut already because you're not doing it. So while. A lot of us in HR are hearing, hey, we got to do diversity and inclusion. Hey, we got to do this. Hey, we got to support our employees. Personally, for me, where were, I ask, where were you when I was trying to do that already? Because as a right. person, I have diversity and inclusion, in, I would say, in my blood or in my approach. Because I want to see people like me succeed. I want right. to help as many, peop- as many people as myself succeed because I don't want them to have to go through the same exact situations that I've had. I don't want them to leave their job at the end of the day going crying home. Why? Why am I not a good fit? Or I can't believe they said that. Or can you believe they took credit for my work? Yeah. Because that's not okay. And we need the change to be a long-term change, not a band-aid that's going to fix it today. But then tomorrow it rips off. What I think has come out of the Black Lives Matter movement very much has been lifting up Black voices and listening to Black professionals about what it is that they need. So um, I think that that's the call to action and listening to what the call to action is and listening to those voices. Everything indicates that, you know, folks want a long-term, dedicated, concerted effort toward changing and rehabilitating the situation away from what it is right now and to kind of a more hopeful vision of what it is for the future. Yeah. And everyone is just cautious until they see that amount of work met. Um, Yeah. And so that's what I've been, you know, surfacing as much as possible. Like, I don't need, if, I'm not going to speak for anyone on anyone's behalf, but I can say that if you're listening to the Black Voices and Black Professionals, what they're asking for is also retention initiative. Talking a little bit more about action when it comes to microaggressions specifically in the workplace and we were talking a little bit about the black lives matter movement and like how you know i i agree with what you're saying about how like being cautious i feel like i'm hopeful for companies but i'm also like definitely very cautious like i'm not like oh my god they posted something like the racism in their company's fixed and so definitely like being hopeful that people are changing but also definitely being you know checking in on companies and being cautious of what they're doing so do you guys think that it is more important to be quick or to wait a little bit and, you know, maybe, quote unquote, like, do it right? So kind of like the risks, benefits um, of that stuff and what you're thinking. I don't, Day, do you want to start it off? I mean, <laughs> my face said it all. No, because I think, again, for me, I have to bring it back to the Band-Aid. We're going to love this Band-Aid by the end of this talk. Well, and I think what your Band-Aid metaphor gets at, right, is that it's you don't trust it right now to stick, right? You don't trust that it's going to be the right care to, to heal, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's the same issues of, 
you know, and I think Dayan is coming from a place where there's like a lot of really fresh hurt around a lot of stuff that she's had to experience firsthand. And like, I can totally get it. Like right now you're just like, oh yeah, okay. Like, let's see what you actually deliver. Let's see what actual change I get from your change in behavior, right? Let's see what residual benefit I get. What are you going to do to make it right for me? Because I still have a lot of hurt, right? Exactly. And now everybody is jumping to text. And and I'm not saying this. So my white friends that listen text me, hey, I heard the podcast. Let's talk about when this happened. Um, Because as they say, I hear you, I see you. I'm here like for anything that you need. You're putting a band-aid on something on a wound that you already opened. So when taking it back to the workplace, the microaggressions that I've experienced, I've escalated them. There's been no action. So to me, for a workplace to try to solve something very quickly, it's not good enough. Because you're just trying to get me to shut my mouth. Because you don't want me to go and expose that when this happened to me, nobody helped me. And that's why they're in a bind to try to fix things. Because now everybody's speaking out. They don't care. They don't care if the company's going to come back and sue them. I mean, they might care a little bit. But for the most part, this is the time where you've done that to me. And you're posting the black black blackout Tuesday square on your social media. But where were you when I went to you and I said, this happened to me. This is what happened. This is how I felt. This is how I took it. I'm going to investigate it. And that's someone in HR that's experienced it. So I think that's why for me personally, I feel for the employees who haven't gotten anybody to hear them and maybe that's why my approach is the way it is because I've been in their shoes granted when I'm listening to you I'm not I'm not in your shoes but I'm like okay let's try to action it let's try to do more for you because you're taking the band-aid you're trying to cover it so that you're not exposed for the crap that you're doing and you're trying to get rid of it quickly but if you take your time and you actually listen to your employees Because for the most part, I think minorities tend to leave jobs quicker than most white people. And from a resume perspective, it doesn't look, it might be deemed for the longest time. I'm like, oh, if I leave so quickly, like it's not going to look for my resume. But now with everything going on, I'm like, you know what? I can explain what's happening. Do you feel like you will be heard or at least understood a little bit or believed a little bit more or people are going to be more understanding of like, oh, I experienced this at a workplace and that's why I was only there for three or four months. Or I do you not feel it, that way? It's really who your audience is. Okay. Because while people right now are behind the movement, today they're behind the movement, but in 365 days, are they going to be behind the movement? Hypothetically, if I leave in two years, are they going to be behind the movement? Or, oh, it happened during Black Lives Matter. You never know. Like, people are very, let me stay with the trend. Yeah. Because the trend right now is black lives matter. Everybody matters. Yeah. Like a lot of people are back and forth about it. But at the end of the day, bringing it back to the question is, I would think taking your time would have better results, but also addressing that yeah. you're taking your time. And th- this is phase one. 
yeah. of what we're doing. This is phase two of what yeah. we're doing. And we're taking our time so that we can hear you, yeah. we can see you, and we can take the action that you need so you feel comfortable. I feel like that's, I've seen a lot of people on social media, especially when companies first started speaking out. And that was like, you know, once a couple, uh, once a couple, um, companies started speaking out and then other people were like, oh, we have to speak out. And like a lot of it was just like very, um, empty. Like what they were saying was very empty. And a lot of people were like, no, we want to know exactly what you're doing. And a couple, I did see a couple companies that were like, you know, this is step one and step two that we're doing. And like, we are, you know, trying to implement this, this, and this, so that way we can, you know, hopefully create a better environment. And people were like, it really resonated with people. And it was so obvious, like companies that were doing that and companies that weren't, it was really because people were saying what you were saying, like they were demanding, like, it's not enough to say like Black Lives Matter. Like we want to know specifically what you're doing, how you're doing it in your timeline that you're going to do it within. So that way we can also hold you accountable and we can check in. If you said it was going to take you six months to do X, Y, Z, like six months comes, we're going to check in and we want to know if you did it and we want to know how you did it. And I should agree with what you were saying. I saw a lot of people saying that on social media and a couple of companies were listening, which I thought was exciting. Yeah, I mean, that was a big caution on my part is if you're going to say something, be sure that you have the same energy one year, two years, three years from now. Like this needs to be yeah. at least a three-year plan. I hope we're not thinking about this year and then next year we're changing things, right? Like, let, let us not give Juneteenth off this year and then change it to a random day off of service next year. Like, that's yeah. probably not the right energy with which to approach the situation, right? And it's funny yeah. because soon after that, right, now there's legislation being introduced to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. So it's yeah. funny because sometimes I hear, like, I'm so progressive and I'm ahead of the wave and stuff, right? But, like, time and time again when I've said, like, let's not do that. Like, I'm seeing the trends. Like, what's happening right now is we've been so behind and there's so much hurt and pain, and Dayana speaks to it really well, right? There's a lot of cynicism around, well, what the hell are you going to do every day to show up for me now that you've just been kicking me in the shins this whole time I've been working, right? Where you haven't believed me, where I've had that pain, where I've had to explain myself, where people have taken credit for my work, right? And let's not even touch upon the pay gap. Yeah. Right? So. not. And that and that fury every day of being like, oh, that person just got a raise in front of me and they make three times what I make. But we're doing the work. We're doing the work. We're staying up late. We're supporting the employee population, how they should be supported. And then you're not being backed up. So it's how much of you are you willing to give? before you burn yourself out. And I think that's something that a lot of people of color, specifically women of color, battle with every day. Because it's just, it's pain on pain, right? To, to have to just deal with it in a very compounded fashion, right? So, right. you know, it ties into the, the long-term issue around that. And what I just caution people around is if you are going to be perceived to be taking an action in the right direction, if you are going to step up and all of a sudden be a values-based company, be ready to be held to account for those values that you espouse, right? Yeah. Um, because what's certainly not going to happen is people are not going to cruise alongside you anymore when you show one face to the world and have another face internally. So just be sure yeah. you can back it up and like be sure you're ready to have those discussions. What I'm grateful for and what I haven't seen before is the same amount of energy from such a diverse energy base. I think, yeah. I think what could be tremendously helpful to folks right now and something that I'm currently experiencing is like people forget your POC if you're not black right now. And so, like, sure. I've had people come at me with some, like, real aggressive energy of, like, what the hell are you doing? And what's the company doing? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, dude, I'm the HR generalist. Like, I appreciate your passion, but feel free to 
have the same energy in your leadership meeting. Yeah. And because you're the I one that wanna... has a seat at the table at the leadership meeting, not me. Yeah. Right. So why aren't you having this discussion with someone else? Right. Because right now it just feels kind of like performative allyship. Right. And I feel right. a little like, why am I the receptacle for your feelings right now? Like, if this yeah. was a business problem, you would know how to approach it. I mean, I just want to say that it's very, 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 very important for people to also realize that there are other people of color that get, that face microaggressions, that are going through the same thing. While physically, as an Afro-Latina, I look the part of a black woman. In a way, I am a black woman. I have to say that because people are going to be like, just say it. Um, other people are experiencing and their pain is valid enough for you to listen to them. I don't care if they are Asian American and they're voicing their concerns about experiencing the same, experiencing the same things. I don't care if they are just regular white Latinas. I don't care if they are Indian, they're going through the same things. Who are you to say that they cannot ex express how they're feeling? Because, okay, you're going to solve the one problem for black individuals, but then you're going to lose the other ones. Yeah. And I mean, I've because gotten so far in those like, moments as people have been like, I don't really need to hear what you say as like a white woman. Excuse me? Like, wait, someone said that to you? That's not professional. Number one. Number two, like, I feel like you're still in your feelings about what's going on. And, like, this probably is a better conversation to be had with Google, right? Like, you still probably have some questions you need to figure out if you're going to make those assumptions about me. And, like, I appreciate your passion. Like, but, what? like, but, like, understand, like, understand and orient your approach accordingly, right? Like, I think the, the, the most helpful thing right now is to be sure to take the time to manage your feelings in a way that are helpful to the community as well as to yourself, to educate yeah. yourself and to listen to voices that are not like you, right? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you get to isolate and decide what voices you wanna hear. I'm yeah, seeing a lot of people them. going and ask and saying, you know, I wanna hear from our black coworkers. Well, our black coworkers are currently tired and exhausted and difficult dealing with violence right now and having like some yeah. pretty severe personal difficulties. So let's let them have a seat and yeah. these points can be made and heard from a variety of sources that are not our black coworkers, nor should they be forced to perform for you. Yeah. Right? So it's just like, let's orient the approach a little bit more helpfully. Let's make sure that, you know, yeah. we're not riling up in the wrong direction and like let's make sure that the same like concerted and cautious effort that like Dayana and I have to put into when we talk about these issues at work let's be sure that you're reflecting the same when you bring it up at work and I feel I've seen a lot on social media too about like I think a lot of people think like okay once we fix or like end police brutality like it's over and it's like no 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 no, no. like that's why we're literally talking today about microaggressions in the workplace because it's like you know, every POC is affected by racism and every minority is affected by something. And it's so, people don't understand like the intersectionality of oppression. And I think that's like a huge issue too because people don't understand like, like even Diana, like you were saying, like your different identities, you're like the way that I identify and like, et cetera. People just don't understand like the intersections of that. 
And I feel like there is this expectation, especially right now, like you were saying, like, you're like, I can, you know, talk to you about what's going on right now in the world. Like I can talk to you about, you know, racism in the workplace and you don't need to expect black people to talk about it right now because they are exhausted and they're so, you know, mentally drained from the seeing violence that's going on every single day. And I think there is the expectation of like, oh, you've been oppressed. Like, well, you need to educate me on your oppression. And again, like you need to have your facts and everything like that. Like, and there's just this huge expectation for people of color to like show up and do that. And it's so draining. Like we have Google, you know, there's so many sources. People have written a million books about, you know, race, gender, sexuality, et cetera. So it's like, why can't you, you know, put in the work yourself? I think we also just like demand the emotional labor of other people to educate us, which is... I mean, for a lot of us, it's a it's a shared, uh, you know, like brown and black bodies have been part of the like prison industrial complex for a really long time, right? Like, it's yeah. you know, Dayan and I when we first started working together, we talked about like, Dayan talked about like I speak Spanish and this and that, and I was like, oh yeah, black Latinas, like they're totally a thing. Like I feel like our community could do a lot better to support like the black women in our community, right? Like we always treat it like Latinx and black are different things, but it's not really, it's very much a shared struggle. And like, we've been experiencing police brutality for a long time. It's something that I like have personal experience with, even though I'm a white presenting Latina, like this time of the year without my tan, right? Like, you know, my, it all, it all depends on how, you know, how much we're shelter in place. But, like, look at Andres Guardado, who was just killed at the age of 18. Like, one of many brown, brown voices that are going to be, you know, that have been silenced by police action. So, yeah. you know, as you're learning, be sure that you're listening to all those voices that want to share their story and give testimony, right? Because um, we yeah. all do have different experiences. And even though, you know, I grew up in, like, a very privileged and affluent area, like, I still got to experience police brutality. I still understood what it was like to have, you know, like, skinheads threaten my life. Like, I understand what that's like. Um, And I'm able to speak to the fear for my own life in the moment that I'm in a confrontation with someone, right? Just because I decided to exist in that moment, in that space. Yeah. So... Yeah. You know, when I want to share my story and have that discussion and be a resource for people, like you telling me that I'm not the right color with which to share my story is just so callous. And, you know, I'm glad I was able to take the hit and then have that conversation with you and tell you how inappropriate that is. Yeah. Um, because that's a safe discussion that my, like, black brothers and sisters didn't have to have with you. Right? Like, at yeah. least I got to take that hit. Happy to be a snowplow. When in your workplace said that to you? Yeah. No, there's, a, there's very much a call for only, like, it's interesting because there's and, and we are seeing like a lot of articles on black folks getting reached out to by coworkers that like they have no previous personal experience with. Right. Yeah. Same thing. It's the same thing. It's all a manifestation of people trying to perform their guilt away by reaching yeah. out and, and having moments of humanity with people that they haven't built a relationship with, thereby retokenizing them. You know, oh, it hurts. I'm just like dancing for you to feel your, for you to be comfortable right now. Yeah. Or you feel like to check a box, like, oh, checked in on a black person today. Yeah. Checked in on a black person today, heard a black story, lifted up a black voice, made them perform for me. Right. But it's funny because these same people aren't the people later that you see in like calibration meetings or whatever, talking about how they want to recommend those black folks for stretch goals or for stretch projects or for raises. My, my friend was talking about too, like, and she was like, I don't want people 
to text me and be like, how are you? She's like, obviously I'm not fucking doing well. She's like, don't fucking text me that because you want me to text back and be like, oh, I'm good. Thanks so much for checking in. She's like, you know, I need people to text me and be like, hey, no obligation to answer this. If you need anything, call me. Like, you know what I mean? She's like, don't fucking ask how I am. Like, that's you literally asking me to perform for you and to tell you that I'm fine when obviously I'm not fucking fine. Like we're in the middle of a modern civil civil rights movement. I'm just going to say personally for me, I'm in a weird situation because I did text my darker skin friends being like, Hey, checking in to see if you need any resources mental health wise. But then I have my white friends reaching out being like, so what's going on? Let's talk about your feelings because I am light skin Um, so I think right now people are in a place where they just want the assurance that they're not racist. (laughs) Yeah. If that's what you're looking for, don't call. And also if that's what you're looking for, like you need to do a lot of like searching and a lot of self-reflection, a lot of educating. You need to answer the question yourself. Like you, only you know. I don't know. I haven't been watching you long enough. I don't even know myself. Mm -hmm. Shoot. I'm sure I've stuck my foot in numerous times, right? Like growth and progress is a zigzag. It's not a hockey stick. Like, I'm yeah. sure I've stuck my foot in it. Like, guaranteed. frickin' teed. Yeah. So, like, if you're looking for absolution or if you're looking for some sort of measure of you're a good person versus you're a bad person, you don't have the right view because it's a practice. It's a f- game you execute every day. It's yeah. not a status that you achieve and then don't have to care anymore. Like, we can all yes. do better. I need to do better. Like, we all need to do better. So, let's just take each other's hands and have a smile on our face as we do the work. Like... If you're looking for someone to say, okay, you're done, like, feel free to get out of the way. Maybe, like, your contributions can be more funding and donation-based. But, like, maybe your strength is not having the ongoing long-term discussion and values-based rigor that is required to affect change via your actions. Because you think it's something you can just achieve immediately. I also feel like I've seen a lot of people saying, like, oh, there's no reason to be, like, so rude or so mad. I'm, like, if you are, like, going into a space and, like, asking a person of color to explain, you know, what's going like, you shouldn't obviously be asking them to explain what's going on or anything like that. But, like, if you're checking in on them and you just want them to be, like, oh, I'm good, thanks so much for asking, and, like, you're a good person, but then you can't handle when they're, like, actually things are fucked up right now and this is how I'm feeling and, like, you know, this is actually what you could do for me, X, Y, Z, and they're kind of unloading on you because you get you gave them that space to, like... That's that's so inappropriate, and you're being a shit ally because you don't get to tell people of color, you know, how they get to feel or how they get to show up or how they get to express their anger to you because that's just not your place to do that. And on someone, be ready to spend at least thirty minutes in a discussion. Be yeah. ready to listen. Like you I, I, I feel I, uncomfortable. Get, get just just get ready to like be of service, right? It's about yeah. that person. If you're checking in on that person, that means that you tangibly care about them as a person and are willing to put mm-hmm. forth whatever resources you have to help them in that moment, right? Yeah. And I don't mean forever in perpetuity. I mean you reached out to check in on them. Be ready to have a thirty minute phone call. Yeah. Or be ready to schedule brunch this weekend because they need someone to check in on them and make sure that they have something to look forward to, right? Because they're they're struggling to get out of bed day to day. Like, I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with an assortment of things. So, like, care and allyship can look a variety of different ways. And it can even mean giving someone something to look forward to two weeks from now. Where they're just like, I have an event two weeks from now. I need to get myself together for that. Let me start leaving the house, right? Like, 
be ready to be yeah. that help but don't reach out and not expect to to put some effort in at the end of the or end of it because you're doing it wrong I f- yeah I feel like we always feel like oh I've done everything I can and it's like if you feel that way then you're not doing everything you can because you can always be learning and talking to people and listening you know what I mean there's always more stories you can hear more books you can read etc before we go I just wanted to say thank you both so much for being on my podcast and we're definitely going to do another episode we already talked about it so if you guys have any questions um you guys as in you listeners have any questions please let us know and before we go I always like to ask you know maybe if there's sources that have helped you or that you want other people to check out um that have kind of helped you either navigate or deal with or etc on microaggressions um specifically in the workplace or outside of the workplace that you want to recommend to someone um you know the research and the study that we were discussing was microaggressions and traumatic stress theory research and clinical treatment by kl nadal um and so that specifically outlines microaggressions and microaggressive uh, traumatic disorder as an analogous symptoms uh and syndrome to PTSD. So that's a really helpful resource. Um, The other one I've been digging deep into is Rachel Cargill and the Loveland Group. Um, And she's on Patreon, Rachel Cargill, C-A-R-G-L-E. She's excellent. um, And she's doing she's doing that work right now. For me, I definitely want to give two shout outs. I definitely Bea. I talk to Bea every day. We bounce things off of each other. She's a great resource. Um, Definitely add her on LinkedIn. She shares a lot of resources when it comes to things you can do for your mental health, whether you're a a white ally or a person of color. I also want to give a shout out to my manager. And I also want to focus in and say that with the right manager, any situation issue that you have, you'll be able to push through it. Your manager has your back. And in doing so, they'll be able to listen, address and mentor you in the right ways. Yeah, don't forget interviews are a two-way street. Like you're interviewing your manager, you're interviewing the role, yeah. you're interviewing the workplace, like you're putting your filters in place. If they're not a values-based workplace and you are a values-based person, it's probably not going to be a good fit, right? So like keep it moving, have that conversation, and like make sure that you're building your resources as you move along. So there's this book called Born Bright by Nicole C. Mason, and it has a lot to do with microaggressions in the education system, um, but still deals with microaggressions and it was a really great book that really opened my eyes to a lot of microaggressions that I didn't even realize were microaggressions so that's a fantastic book and it's like an an, it's an autobiography um by her about her journey as um a young black woman going through um a very racist education system so it's a great book um she has a lot of microaggressions so yeah if you feel like checking that out please do how to be anti-racist by Ibram Kendi excellent resource so if you just want to not do all of the googling and not do all of the other stuff and really just want to jump in roll up your sleeves and get in there deep like that's definitely a resource that's a good place to start and there's so many resources online like right now like i know so many people that have created like master lists of like documents articles like anything that you want is like in one click so yeah go check those out for sure well thank you guys so much for being on my podcast and we're definitely gonna have another episode soon so check out for that and if you guys have any questions please um hit me up you know where to find me on social media lexi h white and my email is alexis white at gmail.com and if you want me to put you, you in contact with these lovely two ladies just hit me up and i will let them know Okay, bye.